Today's scripture reading comes from the fourth chapter of Ephesians, beginning with the 25th verse. You can find this on page 951 of your pew Bible. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Linda. Well, once again, good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. I'm so glad that you're back with us for our next installment of this series entitled A Crazy Little Thing Called Love. The story is told of a couple who had been married for some time, and they were sitting together on a park bench when the husband looked over at the wife and he said, Baby, all these years we've been married to one another. And never... Never, despite the times I get upset with you or raise my voice to you, despite there have been even times I yelled at you, you've, you've never yelled back. Can you help me understand your self-control? And she said, well, we've been married long enough. I guess it's time you knew. When I get really upset with you, I go and clean the toilets. And he said, how, how in the world does that help? Well, she said, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) Relationships will, from time to time, have some conflict. It's unavoidable. Uh, Throughout this series, A Crazy Little Thing Called Love, we've been looking at some survey results from 5,100 United Methodists, survey results around love and relationship. Now, of those 5,100 people who participated in the survey, 1,305 of them were divorced persons. And so today's sermon is, is entitled, Habits That Hurt and Habits That Heal. We're going to take a look at some of the things those 1,305 people who'd experienced divorce said and help us illuminate what are some of the habits that can hurt our relationships. And then we're going to transition into talking about, okay, what are some of the habits that can heal? So the 1,305 people who participated in the survey, I want to talk about the top three reasons they named for experiencing divorce. The number three reason listed for experiencing divorce was abuse, abuse. Uh, there are women in the United States of America who on average once every 15 seconds a woman in the United States of America is going to phys- experience some form of physical abuse at the hands of her husband or boyfriend. Now, this can, this can happen in reverse. There are times that, that women can be physically abusive towards men. Most of the time it's men being physically abusive towards women. Four women today, four women a day on average in the United States of America die as a result of domestic violence. And I don't want to mince words here. I want to say it as clearly as I possibly can. If, if you are someone who is experiencing physical abuse in your relationship, tell somebody. Tell, tell me. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Get help. Because it is not the will of God that we be somebody else's punching bag. Can I get an amen from the church about that? It is not God's will that we be somebody else's punching bag. That is not how God drew up our relationship. So if you're experiencing physical abuse, tell somebody. 
But physical abuse isn't the only type of abuse. We can experience verbal abuse and, and emotional abuse as well. People who are otherwise kind and giving will sometimes unleash a tirade on their spouses, feeling their spouses to feel hurt, causing them to feel small. And if we're honest, there have been times in all of our relationships when we have been condescending towards someone else. All of us say things that we shouldn't on occasion, but when we enter into persistent patterns of demeaning, of speaking with contempt towards our mate, we're injuring our relationships. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says it this way, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. When we enter into patterns of regularly demeaning our spouses, we have a tendency to convince ourselves we are better than they are, and therefore we have the right to speak to them with contempt. But that is not what Scripture tells us. Pastor, are you suggesting that we can we can never fight? Lord, no, I'm not suggesting that. Arguments are going to happen in relationships. They certainly are. John Gottman from the University of Washington said people in great marriages fight. Some of them fight now and then. Some of them fight every day. But whether or not a couple fights isn't the issue. How a couple fights is the issue. There's an opportunity for you, if you would like to, to take notes on the back of your bulletin this morning. And this is the first fill-in-the-blank note. According to Dr. Gottman, healthy fighting focuses on the issue at hand. Unhealthy fighting focuses on the flaws of the partner. Healthy fighting focuses on the issue at hand. Unhealthy fighting focuses on the flaws of the partner. Two people living together will experience conflict. But how we engage that conflict matters. We need to focus on the issues, not the flaws of the other. We've talked about in this series that marriage is a mission from God. It's a a missional institution. It's not just about husbands and wives. As we love each other well, we have the opportunity to bring glory to God's name. We can love each other so well that we can convince other people that love is real and that God exists. Marriage is missional. But when we engage in the perpetual condescension towards our spouses, we are doing things that are contrary to the mission of marriage. In our scripture passage today, Paul admonishes us, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, only that which builds up. You know what the word for evil is here in Greek? Let no evil talk come out of your mouths. The word is putrid. Have you ever ever had leftovers in your refrigerator and then you found them two months later? What happened to you? And I don't know about you, but I'll take them out sometimes, and, and, and I know that it's going to be horrible, but I sniff them anyway. Did you ever do that? That is putrid. That's what Paul's saying. Don't let that putrescence be part of your relationship. Don't let that stinky talk come out of your mouth. As a spouse, we're meant to bless, we're meant to build, to lift up, to encourage. Am I doing those things? Or am I constantly criticizing, belittling, and tearing down? The way we speak to each other matters. How have we been speaking to our spouses? Number three reason that caused divorce was abuse. The number two reason listed in the survey as a cause for divorce was addiction. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles. What does that mean? 
Brothers and sisters, I urge you as those who do not belong to this planet, but belong to a heavenly kingdom, I urge you as those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. You know, addiction is the great equalizer, is one of the great equalizers in our culture. It's no respecter of race or economic class. People from all walks of life are addicts. Maybe the addiction is nicotine. Maybe it's sugar. Maybe it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, our phones, email. Anybody ever feel like they're addicted to their email? I would suggest that perhaps more of us are addicted than recognize. So what happens if I'm in a relationship with someone and their addiction is hurting the relationship. What am I supposed to do? I want to offer two answers to this. If I'm in a relationship with someone and their addiction is hurting our relationship, what do I do? Well, the first answer I would give is, as the church of Jesus Christ, our task is to be a place of healing and hope for people. That's why one of the the cornerstones of our Focus 2025 vision is about becoming a place where all who suffer can find the help and the healing and the hope that they Need And so as the church, it is our task to create spaces for healing. That's one answer. But there's another answer. What happens if I'm married to somebody who is so addicted to something that it's hurting our, our relationship? What can I do to fix that person? Nothing. The only one who can decide to get better is the addict themselves. We can't fix the addict unless we are the addict. At a certain point, it's often called a moment of clarity. The addicted person will experience an opportunity to make a choice. Well, I love my wife, my husband, my children, myself more than this thing I'm addicted to. I can't help someone get sober. I can't make that choice for them, and neither can you. All we can do is shake the dust from our sandals. You remember that story from Matthew chapter 10? Jesus sends out the disciples. He sends them out to the Galilean countryside with a command. He says, I want you to go to the villages, and I want you to tell them the good news. And if they receive you, let your peace rest on those villages. But if they don't receive you, shake the dust from your sandals and move on. And I've told you this before. I've always felt like that was a... That was a harsh thing for Jesus to say, to shake the dust from the sandals. Until one day I realized that Jesus wasn't saying that when we shake the dust from our sandals, we're condemning people to a life of loneliness. What Jesus was saying is that there are some things we can't do through our own efforts. There are some things that only God can do. I can't make anything beautiful out of the dust, but God can make beautiful things out of the dust. God does it all the time. Go back and read Genesis chapter 2. God makes beautiful things out of the dust. When we shake the dust from our sandals, we're not condemning that person to a life of loneliness. We are handing them over to the only person who can make a difference in their lives, the living God. I say this to you because I believe that there are probably some people in this very room, some people who are watching online today, who have spent... Many years of sleepless nights trying to figure out what they can do to fix someone who's addicted in their lives. And I would suggest that the most important thing we can do is to shake the dust. To give them to God. To entrust them into the hands of the only one who can truly heal them. Okay, but what if I'm the addict? 
if I'm the one with the problem? Well, let me say this to you. And this goes to the the heart of being the kind of church Ebenezer wants to be. If you're addicted to drugs or to alcohol, to pornography or gambling or sugar or TV or cell phones, I want you to know you've come to the right place and that you're welcome here. That we want to help you. If you'll let us talk to me, talk to Pastor Mark. We have a counselor on our staff. We pay his salary and give away his services for free precisely for things like this. You're the beautiful and beloved child of God. Ask for help. You deserve it. Number three reason was abuse. The number two reason stated for divorce was addiction. The number one reason people listed for experiencing divorce was adultery. In our marriage vows, we agree to forsake all others. But according to people like us, people who live in suburban settings and attend a large United Methodist church, the number one reason for divorce was unfaithfulness in marriage. We have to guard against it, but how do we do that? Well, I, I want to make a suggestion to you. So of the 3,856 people that took this survey who were married, 3,856 people took the survey who were United Methodists that were married, 11% of the men and 6% of the women admitted to cheating on their spouses. 11% of the men and 6% of the women in our survey admitted to cheating on their spouses. Dr. Bradford Wilcox at our own University of Virginia suggests that in reality, culture-wide, it's about 22% of men and 14% of women who uh, cheat on their spouses. So what does this mean? Does this mean that people who go to church are less likely to cheat on their spouses, or did they just lie on the survey? Well, I, I think that there's an opportunity to see that maybe going to church makes a difference. How do we create an affair-proof marriage? The University of Chicago did a very interesting social survey. It looked at the correlation between frequency of worship attendance and adultery. Now, I'm going to name here that uh, it can look like I'm, I'm just trying to get people to come to worship. Well, I do think people should come to worship. But this, this is the University of Chicago that published this study. I just think it's a fascinating study. People who never came to worship had a 24.8% likelihood of cheating on their spouses. That's one in four. People who came to church less than once a month had a 20.7%, about one in five chance of cheating on their spouses. People who came with greater frequency than once a month uh, had about a 17.1% or one in six, roughly one in six likelihood of cheating on their spouse. People who came to worship every week had a 12.4% or one in eight chance of cheating their spouse. So... If we want to create an affair-proof marriage, according to the University of Chicago, one of the things that we can do is regularly attend worship together as a family. If you've experienced any of these challenges, abuse, addiction, adultery, I just want to say that our church is here to help. We really are a family. We had the opportunity to celebrate the baptismal covenant this morning. We, we are a family. We're here to help one another. So ask for help. Let us be the family of God for you. So far we've talked about habits that hurt. I want to transition now this morning to talk about habits that heal. The first habit that heals I want to talk about is the habit of forgiveness. Pastor Mark talked about this very briefly last week. I want to add my own nuance to it this morning. You know, Jesus talks about forgiveness in a in really kind of a sharp way. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, 
If, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you your trespasses. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will not forgive your trespasses. That's not me saying that. Jesus said that. In other words, Jesus put forgiveness at a great premium, not just forgiveness by God to humanity, but forgiveness amongst us. In Ephesians chapter 4, at the end of our passage this morning, the end of that passage says this, be kind to each other, forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. If I want to have a fruitful relationship, especially a fruitful marriage, I have to arm myself with the tool of forgiveness. Our partners aren't perfect and neither are we. We have been forgiven, therefore we must forgive But, so often, we tend to think that forgiveness is about our brains. You've heard the phrase, forgive and forget, right? We've all heard that phrase, forgive and forget. That sounds nice. It's impossible to do, yes? I cannot, by act of will, force myself to forget something that someone else has done. And that's okay, because forgiveness is not ultimately a matter of the memory. Forgiveness is not a matter of the memory. Forgiveness is a matter of the tongue. It's not a matter of the memory. Will I, will I forget that what this person has hurt me? No, but I can choose not to bring it up again. Forgiveness is not a matter of the memory. It's a matter of... The tongue. I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do. I do know about you. I know we all do this in the context of our relationship. We have these ledgers in our relationships, right? And so our spouse or our loved one, they'll, they'll hurt us, and then they'll come and they'll say, please forgive me, and we say, okay, I forgive you. But we make an annotation in the ledger. And then, at a later time, we get all frothed up and upset with them at about a totally different issue. What do we do? We tend to break out the ledger. Back in 1984, on Thanksgiving Day, you told me the turkey was dry. 1984? How long have you been holding on to that, right? We do this. We tend, we tend to say that we forgive people and then, then we keep the ledger. And maybe we cannot keep, prevent ourselves from keeping the ledger, but here's what we can choose to do. Forgiveness is not ultimately a matter of the memory. It's a matter of the tongue When we say, I forgive you, what we're saying is, I will never bring it up again. My brothers and sisters, listen to me. This tool alone, recognizing that forgiveness is a matter not of the memory but of the tongue, this tool alone could be salvific for some of the relationships in our church. A second habit is called the habit of the first 15 The Harvard Business Review says that the most likely time for an argument between spouses is in the first 15 minutes after they get home from work. Ed Bautista of the Harvard Business Review said that uh, this period of time was toxic. He called it the toxic 15 so we've got a group, diverse group of people here at Ebenezer Church. We've got some stay-at-home dads. We've got some stay-at-home moms. We've got some people, both of whom are working. We've got folks uh, where one person's retired, the other person is still working, and everything in between. And what tends to happen is whomever is at home a little bit more tends to be waiting for the person who's at work a little bit more to get home so they can tell them about their day. But the person who's been at work a little bit more Oftentimes, the last thing they want to do when they walk in is to have a conversation about the challenges of the other person's day. All of this is to say that those first 15 minutes can be toxic. They're not a time 
for serious conversations. They're not even a time to catch up on the day. It's a time to be together. So during those first 15 minutes, hold hands. Massage his shoulders, rubber feet. Set a timer if you have to. But for those first 15 minutes, just be together. All right. A third habit that heals. This one is critically important. If we want to have healthy relationships, we have got to be intentional about having fun together. And you might think to yourself, oh, but it's a pain to try and come up with things to do. I I made a list for you, so don't worry about it. Check this out. (laughs) Have a food fight. When's the last time you threw a meatball at that man? You know he deserves it. Take a bike ride, go canoeing, watch a funny movie. Take that woman dancing. Play a game, go to the zoo, work out, go out to dinner, have a Nerf fight with Nerf guns. When's the last time you shot a Nerf gun at somebody? Go out for ice cream, go bowling, go to a concert, wrestle. Play Twister. Make love. Wrestle, play Twister, and make love. Plan a day trip, try a new sporting event, go mini-golfing. I love the way Romans chapter 12 says this. In Romans 12, 9 and 10, it says, Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of the good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Couples that laugh together stay together. You never hear anyone say, Gosh, I just couldn't stay in that marriage. We laughed too much. Our spouses are intended to be our best friend. We're not business partners about the work of running the household or rearing children. Man, if you forget everything else we talked about today, remember this. God gave you relationships to help bring joy to your life. So here is your homework. I challenge you to get together with your spouse, a loved one, a friend. And at the, at the bottom of your notes page there, there's an opportunity just next to the word fun. There's a blank. I encourage you to write down one thing that you're going to do this week to have fun as you build that relationship. And I'm not just telling you to do it. I lived it. You see, I wasn't here last week because my family and I were at Disney World. That's a picture of my little girl in front of Mission Space at Epcot. Looking all like she's ready for launch there. We went and uh, we stood in line a lot. <laughs> paid a lot of money for tickets and for hotels and for flights and for parking. Did I mention we stood in line? And it, it was awesome. It was wonderful. Now, I don't know that all of you are going to get a chance to make it to Disney by this weekend. But I can tell you that when we decided that we were going to go have some fun, it was nurturing to our souls and nurturing to our relationships. So I want to encourage you right now, write down something you can do this week to have fun together. God gave us the gift of each other in part to help fulfill our desire for joy. My brothers and sisters, here's the truth. We get the chance, in the course of our lives, we get the chance to decide how we're going to live into relationships. We can, we can feed the habits in our lives that hurt, like addiction, adultery, abuse. Or we can feed the habits 
in our lives that will heal. Things like forgiveness and setting up appropriate parameters in which to share our day and finding ways to have fun together. We get to choose the types of relationships that we're going to have with the people who are closest to us. So thanks for joining with us in this installment of a crazy little thing called love. And I hope that you'll come back and join us next week for our final installment. Until then, would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks. Because you are the one who came up with this idea of love. You're the author of it, the creator of it. You're the expert at it. You taught us what perfect love looks like. A love that's filled with joy and peace, patience and kindness. We don't always reach the bar, oh God, but help us to strive for it. Help us to give up the habits that hurt and and embrace habits that heal. Lord, I pray for the the relationships in this room that are hurting. Maybe are, are teetering on the edge of survival. How to pray in this moment that the people in those relationships will covenant to do a few things. First, to offer that relationship to you and ask you to do a work of healing. I pray also that they would find a way to forgive one another. I also pray that in those moments where it's appropriate that they would seek help. Because none of us are perfect at this. And from time to time, we all need a little assistance. God, above and beyond all things, help us simply to reflect your perfect love to this world in the best way that we can, so that we can bring glory to your name. It is in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen.